this morning, we're uh, in Luke chapter 15, the uh, 11th through Acts. I'm going to read through the 24th verse. You know, we just sang that John Michael Montgomery, is that, who, who, who is John that sings out how he loves us? Who wrote that? John Mark McMillan, I know it's close. His song, um, and I don't know, I was John, John something, um, whether, whether this passage was in the back of his mind when he wrote the lyrics to that song, How He Loves Us, but this is a great text and a great scripture for us to reflect upon as we're going to kind of talk about that nature of, of God's love and, and the Father's love um, as Jesus communicates it through the story. Uh, and, you know, it, it's not a coincidence, obviously, that I tie this in today on, uh, on Father's Day. And as John said at the beginning, um, fathers, grandfathers, nurturers, um, I say to you, you know, happy Father's Day. Even some of you mothers that have been mothers and fathers, I say to you, happy Father's Day. Um, this is a day, you know, we understand these days a little wider in context in the church and what it means to be. Uh, the, the body of Christ and, and how those things are defined. But I do hope if it's um, a day of celebration or, or positive um, memories for you that you're able to enjoy it. Uh, and thank you very much. We're going to be, um, my father, many of you know, um, will be here at the next service and we're going to be doing lunch together. I think hopefully not everybody in Manatee will be at the same place, but we're going to be trying to do lunch together. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I told Tony last night, <laughs> I said, hey, well, tr- you know, Dad very often takes us out to lunch when he comes. You know, he's very gracious about that. But I said to Tony, I said, well, it's Father's Day. We'll treat Dad and Judy to lunch tomorrow. <laughs> and she's like, well, Beef O'Brady's fathers eat free. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> go there. <laughs> but, um, and we're doing that. And then, and you guys know I've joked about this. Tony, <laughs> Tony. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, I was sitting in bed watching TV or something, and Tony kind of crawled on bed, and she nestled up real sweetly next to me, and she's like, hey, Chris, and I'm like, oh, Lord, what? <laughs> I could tell it was coming. I was getting buttered up, and she's like, my father indicated that fathers eat free at Spaghetti Warehouse on Father's Day, too, <laughs> so if you've been around, you know that the running joke on, on my in-law side of the family is that Every time my father-in-law wants to get together for dinner, it's at Spaghetti Warehouse. Spaghetti Warehouse is a great place to eat, but Lord have mercy. Um, uh, we eat there a lot. So uh, that's where we'll be, we'll be tonight. And in between that, in between that, I have a, I'm just randomly sharing now. Um, I have a paper due tomorrow for school that is, cover your ears, not done. <laughs> so uh, that'll be finished tonight too. So anyway, lo- busy, busy Father's Day for, uh, for us, and then uh, we're driving up to Tallahassee this week, so keep us in your prayers as we, we travel up to Tallahassee and, uh, and back. Anyway, all of that, um, on this day of, of, of Father's Day, and I was Tuesday morning before the kids, as I, I think I mentioned last week, Brian and Cassie were with youth delegates in annual conferences past week in Lakeland for the United Methodist Church in Florida and had to stop on Tuesday morning to get a couple last-minute items at, like, Target before I took them um, and checked them in at the, the dorm at Florida Southern College where they were staying. And because um, we had a little bit of time, I did something that is very, very rare for me, which is I bought my dad his Father's Day card early. 
I'm, again, I'm that guy that's doing it on Saturday most of the time. But, uh, but I was there, and I, I couldn't miss the cards, and I'm like, wow, let's do this ahead of time. And so because we had some time on our hands, I, I kind of was reading through a lot of the cards. And it just kind of struck me as I'm looking through these cards just how differently we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. Mother's Day, the, the abundance of the cards are, are kind of sentimental. They're serious. They're, they're celebrating moms and all the beauty of moms and all the wonders of mom and mom's great and all these things, which we should do, which we absolutely should do. But I don't know if you've ever really read the Father's Day cards. They're like pot shots at fathers. <laughs> we, you know, they, they kind of celebrate these caricatures of fathers as, you know, um, uh, you know, um, incapable and, and, you know, just wanting to get away from their family and sleep or drink beer or, you know, try to fix things. It, it's just, and I don't, it's, it's good natured and I don't, this isn't a, a you know, boo-hoo kind of thing, but it's just funny. There are the serious cards and they're there, but they're not in near as abundance as, as, the, um, as the kind of funny and kind of tweak dad as we buy him a card to celebrate you know, his day, which is fine because that's the kind of card I was looking for. So it was, it worked, but, um, but we just, it is, it is different the way that we celebrate Father's and Mother's Day. I was, I was reading that the, um, the number one day of the year in which calls are made, anyone want to guess? Mother's Day. Mother's Day, most phone calls are made. The number one day, the most collect calls are made. I'm not making this up. Father's Day. Father's Day. Now, that's going to be changing because I don't think our kids have any concept of what a collect call is. Um, what's that? Yeah, what Ryan just said, what's a collect call? We'll tell you later. But, uh, but those kind of things, $14.6 billion was spent on Mother's Day this year, uh, roughly, approximately. Um, $9.4 billion will be spent on Father's Day. So somewhere we're getting gypped. Um, but but it is it is it's different and and I say it like I said uh, uh, tongue in cheek uh, and and not with any sense of um, complaining well maybe a little sense of complaining but um, we sometimes get an incomplete picture or a jaded picture or one sided picture of what of what fatherhood is meant to look like now some of us I know uh, in here. We had great examples of fathers and, and loving fathers in our lives, and that's a blessing. And others, not so much. I, I don't know all your stories, but I know that statistics tell me that some of you don't have those kind of experiences and those kind of positive memories. And some of people are kind of somewhere in between. But Jesus gives us a story that reminds us, one, that, that we all share a common father, and that's our Heavenly Father. And in the story, Jesus gives us a complete picture of what that looks like and, and what fatherhood, how we experience that in God, but I think also something that we're called, all of us, men and women, and challenged to, to live into and to model in our own lives. And to do that, Jesus tells a story that, for most of you, um, is going to be familiar because it's a story of the prodigal son. And that's what we call it. We call it the story of the prodigal son. And the, the artwork that, that I've chosen all conveys images from, from that story. But the interesting thing, the story is really not about the son. But a lot of times when, when, when pastors preach it, when I preach it, we talk about the son. 
the younger son and the older son, who we're not going to really get into his part of the story, but you can read if you're not familiar with it, if you go on from where I'll leave off this morning. And, and they're central figures, and they're important to the story, but they're not who it's really about. The story really probably should be called the parable of the loving father because in it we get a wonderful glimpse of, of what the fatherhood of God means and, and how that's lived out in our lives. So let me just pick up the story. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, with Jesus' teaching, it says that Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me to be like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Friends, let us pray. Gracious, loving Father, give us understanding. Give us ears to hear and, and hearts that are open to, to receive your word. As it is spoken, it is read, that it would come from you inspired and guided, empowered by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I was in the, the back room, in the bedroom, this was a few weeks ago. And uh, as I was back there, I was watching TV or doing something, and I needed to get Ryan and Cassidy's attention. I needed them to, to do something f for me or, or something I needed from them. I don't even remember what it was. And so rather than get up and actually walk to where they were, I yelled across the house and told them to come to me. It's called the Father's Prerogative. So I, I yelled, you know, Ryan, Cassie, I need you. And uh, as they were coming to the bedroom, Cassie was the first one coming, and I heard her say, she's coming, am I in trouble? Am I in trouble? A as she was coming. And that's not the first time that's been their response when, uh, when I have yelled to get their attention. And it, it just kind of struck me. One, it made me wonder what they were guilty of that I didn't know about, because we have a way of, of doing that. I, if you have been a part of the church for any number of years now and have heard uh, my father preach, you know, he's told stories before, and there were many times growing up 
especially in Jacksonville where he served a church there. And the house was right next to the church. Many of you are familiar with that kind of setup in churches you'd have where the parsonage was right there. And um, so he would call over the house sometimes. I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old and asked my brothers and I to come over because he had to talk to us about something. And inevitably, if we had done something that we shouldn't have done, which was most of the time, um, we would come over scared to death that we were getting, that he'd found out. And the irony is that we would actually tell on ourselves. He wouldn't know, but we'd come over so fearful, so freaked out that he'd know we were hiding something and we'd get busted. Um, and so we'd kind of play that out. So I went to my own childhood and they, they came and I'm thinking, well, what are you worried about, you know, that, that you're going to be in trouble for? And then I, I started to kind of think about that as a critique on me, which I'm going to get to a little bit later. But let's pause for a moment in that apprehensive approach that Cassie had or that Ryan had coming to me wondering, am I getting called into dad's presence because I've done something wrong? I think a lot of us fall into that fear sometimes. Fall into that, that fear that, that one day we're going to stand before God in His presence, which we talk about in faith, that we're going to be come into, into His glory, but that in standing by him, before Him, we, we approach that with a lot of fear and trepidation because we're afraid we're going to get in trouble. We're afraid that we're going to be called to accountability for the mistakes that we've made, the sins that we've committed, the, the failures and the shortcomings of our lives. I know I feel that way sometimes. I fall into that kind of fear when I, when I think about standing in the presence of God because I know that God knows me. I know that God knows me in a way nobody else knows me. I know God knows me in a way I don't want anybody else to know me. And that's not a comforting thought. You know, I, I joked a few weeks ago, you know, isn't it a good thing that we don't have thought bubbles that pop up over our heads where everybody could see what we were thinking? Aren't you glad you don't have thought bubbles, you know, like in the comics? I'm thrilled because I know the kind of thoughts that sometimes creep into my mind. I know sometimes some of the attitudes and some of the biases and some of the, you know, just the stuff. That, I mean, sometimes I'll catch myself going, get that out. Because I know that there is a part of me that I don't want you to know. And there's a part of me that I try to kind of crush because it's not pretty. And I know, hopefully, you don't know it. But God does. And that frightens me sometimes. To stand in the holy presence of God knowing how unworthy I so often am. Jesus knew that was not an uncommon thought in his day either. Jesus knew that there were many who he encountered, connected with, spoke with, shared meals with, who felt that they were unworthy of, of God's love, that they were unworthy of God's grace, they were unworthy of being in the presence of God and, and had been ingrained to be afraid of that because of the lives they had lived and the choices they had made. There was a spiritual distinction in Jesus' day between the haves and the have-nots, between the religious folk and the Pharisees and the people that honored the law and felt that they had earned God's love and they were worthy of God's love. But there was this whole class of people that were the have-nots, that were seen as secondary citizens, 
that were seen as unworthy of God's love, in fact, were, were told in verbal and nonverbal ways they were unworthy of it. And ironically, people like shepherds and tax collectors and prostitutes and butchers, those were the very kind of people Jesus tended to hang out with. They were the ones that Jesus shared company with. And Jesus tells this story not just for them, but for the religious leaders as well. But he wants to speak into their lives some words of hope and some words of assurance. And I think challenge the religious leaders and those who think they're on the inside to, to broaden their perspective. In fact, Jesus tells this story in relation. If you go back to, to the chapter 15, the beginning, in verse 1 and 2, you read that Jesus was, as is often characterized, how many times it says that Jesus was spending time with sinners. And that's the word, the sinners. And the Pharisees are indignant about this. I can't believe that one that would represent God, that would be a man of God, would spend time with these people that were unworthy of God. And in response to that, Jesus tells a series of stories. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and now this parable of the prodigal son. And what he wants to communicate is you don't have a complete picture of God. You don't have a complete picture of the love of the Father. In fact, uh, George Buttrick, who's a fav- famous uh, preacher and, and writer years ago, said that the gospel is encapsulated in this story. This story is the gospel in a nutshell. And so he tells the story about this son who squanders everything that he'd been given and is welcomed back by his father. He tells the story to communicate a new understanding for, for those people that would hear it of what the love of the Father looks like. And on a day we celebrate fathers, it's right for us to really use this story and Jesus' teaching to redefine perfect fatherhood. And that's what we have in God. And so there are some characteristics of a father's love, of our father's love, that we see in this story that is ingrained in the telling that his hearers would have understood that we need to understand. And the first truth that we read is this. The father's love is without limits. The father's love is without limits. Now, if you've spent time in church, if you've grown up in church, if you've been to church more than a few times, you've probably heard that. But understand, Jesus wants to use this story to drive the point home, and he does it in startling ways that we tend to miss because we know the story so well, and we're removed from the context. But you've really got to understand, Jesus is painting a picture of a son here that is as unlikable a person as you're ever going to meet. Understand the depth of what happens in this story. This son, this younger son, comes to his father and basically says this, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Because at the father's death, the estate would be handed to the sons. The older and the younger would get their inheritance. And he basically says, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. I want my money now. I want what I'm entitled to. I want what I deserve. It is... And, and I, will, I will confess to you, one of my absolute least um, favorable qualities, 
In fact, there's nothing favorable but that I see in people. One of the qualities that makes me the most crazy is sense of entitlement. Sense of the idea that somehow you deserve it. And I've had friends and you've known people that have been that way that felt that their parents owed them. Owed them. And, and that drives me crazy. And I see it over and over. And that's what this kid is. I mean, he's entitled. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want what I want and I want it now. Give it to me. And ironically, the father does, which is crazy in my book. I'm like, oh, I'll give it to you. Um, but he does. He, he, gives, he gives it to him. And, I, you know, on a side note, I have, it, is, it is sad to see how greed, and, and I have seen nothing more tragic in, in the experience of, of ministry and in the experience of, of funerals and saying goodbye to those who have died than to see families that become divided against each other for money and material things. And it's, it's not a common story, but it's not as uncommon as I wish it was. And I've seen that, and some of you have probably lived that. Well, this kid doesn't even want to wait. He wants it now. And so that in and of itself makes him about as unpleasant a person as you can imagine. But Jesus kind of goes on to, to kind of take this story deeper because this kid gets his money. And he doesn't even set up shop in the same town that his dad lives in. I mean, he basically says to his dad, I want your resources, I don't want your relationship. And so he takes his money and he moves to another land. And there he continues to dishonor his father by violating every value that he'd been raised in. By doing, you know, it says immoral living. Living in a way that was contrary to anything that we can expect his father had raised him to value and appreciate. So much so that just to add one final layer to the rottenness of this kid and to his undesirable status among his own people, it says that he got, when his money was gone and he had nowhere to turn, it says that he resorted to feeding pigs, which doesn't sound so bad unless you remember that in Jewish pigs were unclean. So he fell so far that he basically violated everything that he could violate of his faith and of his family. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. He's basically creating a, a story about somebody that nobody who heard it could like. I was trying to think of who's the most rotten character I could think of in cinema. And I can't even come up with one off the top of my head. I didn't plan this out, so I didn't think through it. But, I mean, whoever, I don't want you to think about real people. First I went, who's the most rotten person you know? That's not so good. <laughs> Um, so think about, but, but whoever it is that, that's been, you know, in cinema or things that you, or books that you've read that, that is as rotten a human being as you can imagine, that's kind of what Jesus is trying to say. That's how bad this kid is. And yet, the scriptures tell us that when he returned home, his father received him with open arms. He received his son. And in that, we learn some things about what the love of God our Heavenly Father looks like. One, it is limitless. And the truth is, and as I have said over and over and spoken with people over and over, what Jesus wants to say is, no matter what you've done, you can't get so far away from God that He will not receive you back. No matter how bad your choices have been, no matter how tragic the consequences of your actions have been, and I'm not saying there's not responsibility for that, but you can't be so bad that God is going to write you off because God's love has no limits. No limits. So we see that characteristic of God. The second thing that we learn is that God's love is patient. The love of God is patient. 
Now, the, the story happens very, very quickly. It progresses quickly. It's not a drawn-out story. But there's no reason to believe that all of this happened in the matter of weeks or even months. I mean, this kid blew an entire estate inheritance. I'm going to assume that took some time. You don't do that overnight. Months, years maybe, before he returns. And yet, the Scriptures, Jesus kind of paints this picture of a father who never stops looking for him who never stops praying for him, who never stops believing and hoping that his son is going to come back. You know, there's a word of encouragement there to some of you who I know are praying for your children or your grandchildren. God's love is patient. Be patient. Continue to pray. Continue to wait. Continue to hope. Continue to dream because that's what this father does. It is patient and he waits patiently for the return of his son. And that is the most challenging of the characteristics for me because I'm not patient. It is not my gift. It is not something that I live into very faithfully. I'm a very impatient person. And I have to work really, really hard at that because it's not, I'm not good at it. And my family sees the worst of that. I fake it in front of you all. I don't fake it so well in front of them. I, I do. I mean, I, I, you know, we've talked about before, our families, our inner, our, whoever your inner circle is, whoever the closest people are in your life, whether it be family or friends, I'm going to bet they see more of the real you than anybody else does. And the real us isn't always pretty. And, and the real me is not patient. So when, when, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, you know the love chapter, what's the first thing he says? Love is patient. I'm like, could we skip that part? Um, can we get on to its kind? I'm okay there. Um, you know, it, it wishes, I'm, I'm good with the other love part, but patient, not so much. But the Father's love is patient. The Father's love is without limits. The Father's love is patient. The third thing is the Father's love is eager. I mean, it's eager. It says when he saw his son, after waiting and waiting, when he saw his son, he didn't just wait for his son to get home. It says that he did something that would be undignified for a man of Jewish faith, a man of respect and esteem to do. It says basically, and I'm going to paraphrase, he hiked up his robe and he ran to meet him. He was eager to embrace and receive and love his son. He couldn't even wait for his kid to get back. And see, now again, these are the things that challenge me because I'm confident, I'm confident that, that if, you know, and, and you hate to put yourself in this, but if, if Ryan or Cassie were to make some really bad choices in their life and were to dishonor me the way this son dishonored his father, that I would still love them back, that I would receive them back. But I'd probably make them work for it a little bit. And I don't say that with, with, um, to, to, with, with pride. I, I think I would see them in the distance and my heart would rejoice, but I would think they've got some penance to do here. They need to come grovel a little bit. They need to come and approach me and find me and apologize to me and, and, and make some restitution with me. And the son was prepared to do all of that, and there's no reason to believe the son didn't. But before he even had a choice, the Father met him. The eagerness of God to receive us, to love us, to embrace us. Limitless, patient, eager. And then lastly, it's joyful. The Father's love is, I mean, he says, we're having a party. I mean, the son says, I just want to be a servant. He says, no, 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 you're mine. And we're going to clothe you, we're going to honor you, and we're going to celebrate you because you've come home. 
you have come home. Jesus tells us, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's saying, don't you understand the love of God that sees nobody as outside that worth and that love, that receives everybody with joy, like a lost coin and a lost sheep. This is what fatherhood looks like. This is fatherhood that we celebrate, and, and the word and the, 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 the blessing in that is that that's what God offers to each of us. That's, that may be what you need to hear today in your life and in your story that God's love is so powerful that he's ready to embrace you and to eager to run and meet you and to receive you and to celebrate your coming home. But I think there's more to the story. You know, there is that. And, and, and it's interesting. I, I titled the sermon Father Forgive, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I titled it before I wrote it, and I'm not even sure why I did that. I'm not sure, because there's so much more than just forgiveness that's at work there. But we see that exemplified in Christ. You know, Jesus tells a story, but then he exemplifies it when he's on the cross. Remember, as he's crucified and as he's dying, he looks at those who are responsible for his death, responsible for his suffering, responsible for his humiliation. And he looks at them with love and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he lives into that. And that's, I think, our secondary challenge. Some of you just need to stop with, hear that you're loved. But if you're like me, there's a second part of this. And that is to ask yourself, how well do you reflect it? How well do you reflect that love, patience, and eagerness, and joy, and limit love with those who are closest to you? Because this is what challenged me in that encounter when Cassidy came and Ryan came and she said, am I in trouble? Because I thought, what am I doing in their life that when I call them, they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble? Where am I falling short as a father? Now, there are times that is my role, is to hold them accountable. But where am I as a father not giving my kids the best of me? See, this story is about a father who gives his son the very best. A God who gives us as his children the very best. Where am I failing to give to my wife and my children, my brothers, my parents, my very best? Because sometimes I think what happens, at least it happens to me, is I'll give you my very best. And I will give other people's kids my very best. And I will be patient and loving and eager with all of them. And when I get home, my kids get leftovers. They get the leftovers. Because I don't bring it into the house the same way I do outside. And I need to be challenged. And I don't think I'm alone. And I don't just mean fathers. And I don't just mean mothers. Children. Parents. Friends. Spouses. You have people in your inner circle, the people who God has placed in your life that you have the most powerful influence on. There's nobody in my life that I have greater opportunity to influence than my kids. And it is important that I live the love of Christ outside the home. But I will tell you what, there's no more important place that I live the love of Christ than inside the home, the love of the Father. And so I needed to hear a word, and I don't think I'm alone there. We need to hear that word. We receive that. God's, Jesus wants to say that love is given to you by your Heavenly Father, but we're also called to, to live it, to reflect it, to model it, to give of yourself 
a limitless, patient, eager, and joyful love. That's what Jesus teaches. And so on a day when we talk about fatherhood, and some of us have great memories and some of us don't, remember we do have one thing in common. We have a perfect father who lavishes perfect love upon us. And though we are not perfect, calls us to strive every day to live into that love and to reflect it and to share it with those whom God has blessed to put in that inner circle of your life, whatever that may be. Let that love be received and shared. May that be our Father's Day challenge. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive um, communion, as we prepare our hearts to receive um, an act of remembering your selfless love, Lord, challenge us to live that and to live into that for the sake of others and for the sake of those whom we love most in this world, that in us they would see you. We pray in Jesus' name.